0: Welcome to the Life Church STL podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages and inspires you. Thanks for listening, and enjoy today's message. Now, Pastor Josh and Tori asked me to focus on this today, and I'm thrilled to do it. I'm t- calling this uh, just two words: supernatural kingdom, supernatural kingdom, and. I chose those words specifically listen to this very closely because you take the word kingdom first and you know many Christians they know about saved or salvation they know about the cross things like redemption but they really don't really understand much about kingdom in the Bible or how it relates to your life I mean what difference does it make if I understand kingdom Well, it makes a lot of difference if you understand that that's what Jesus' whole message was. And and it's what he came to manifest. We'll talk about that in a bit. But here's what kingdom is. You know, the kingdom of God was talked about in the Bible. What in the world does that mean? Basically, the word kingdom comes from a Greek word, basilia, which just means the time of the king's rule. So wherever the king is, the king's reign is there. Does that make sense? So, when Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God, he came preaching the king's reign is here. And when you understand that and you understand, listen, when you're saved, if you've saved, if you've been forgiven, and you're in right relationship with God, you may not realize it, but you've been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and you've been delivered into the kingdom of God's dear son. You're in a new kingdom, which means this God has not only saved you in order so you can go to heaven, but he has forgiven and saved you and put you right with God so you can enter into the time of the king's reign so that there is to be this reigning or ruling aspect in our lives as Christians. So everybody, that's kingdom, right? to Say kingdom. Then there's supernatural. This kingdom is a supernatural kingdom. Now, there are a lot of natural aspects of how this plays out in our lives when we talk about the King Jesus' reign in our lives, how does that reign play out? I mean, it can play out in many natural ways, like reigning in our, you know, bringing order and flourishing to our family, our job, you know, our personal lives, all of these things. So there's a lot of natural aspects to that, but it's also a supernatural kingdom. So you can't function in the way that God wants you to function as a Christian bringing in his kingdom or his reign in your world without supernatural power or supernatural wisdom and supernatural knowledge. Are you with me now? Now, so here's the thing that brings us to this. Why talk about this today? Well, let's talk about us as a church. Who are we as a church, Life Church? You know, you... One of the ways you might describe us, although we don't necessarily like labels here, but you might describe us as a spirit-filled church. That's one way to say it. When you say spirit-filled, that's referring to the fact that we believe that Jesus not only died on the cross, rose from the dead to save us, take us to heaven, but he did that so that we could be filled with the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit could empower us to live a supernatural life. Are you with me now? So we would be called Spirit-filled Christianity. And, And so you say, well, isn't everybody that way? Well, all Christianity, all Christians believe that when they get saved, the Holy Spirit comes into their lives, but there are many sectors of Christianity that don't believe that that Holy Spirit really does anything today in and through us besides just save us. Are you with me now? In other words, he gets us into the kingdom, but really doesn't do anything in manifesting the kingdom through us. Thank you for your tremendous response. That was a great point there. But anyway, so spirit-filled, you could also call us charismatic. Now, charismatic, and again, we don't like labels, but charismatic is a good term because it comes from the Greek word charismata, which is charis, 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 which is a Greek word that means grace. And mata, which is a Greek word which means gifts, so charismata means grace, gifts, that the Holy Spirit comes as he lives in us to give us. So if you call yourself a charismatic, it just means you believe that Jesus has died on the cross, raised from the dead, to release the Holy Spirit in our lives, to manifest gifts of grace in our life. You with me now? And these are supernatural gifts of grace. But now listen to this. This may make you feel uncomfortable. Really, the most technical term, biblically, for us is, you ready for this? Pentecostal. Woo! I mean, it's true. That's the one legitimate Bible term, and uh, because, you know, uh, and let me just say, it's the reason it makes people feel uncomfortable, because many people, when you think of Pentecostals, you think of, like, the... More of the early expression of Pentecostals in the 20th century, you know, kind of like, you know, emotionalism and conjures up ideas of snake handlers, you know, and uh, you know where the snakes are coming out a little bit later. But I, you know, <laughs> and and or you know, holy rollers, you know, things like that. And but we we say Pente- we're Pentecostal because the church was birth. On the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and on the day of Pentecost is when the church was birthed in this flurry of great glory and power. I mean, some of you know me know this, that it irritates me that we have today this whole label of historical mainline Christian denominations. You ever heard that? That these denominations are historical mainline Christianity. And when we say that, it's like what they mean is that the Episcopalians, the Presbyterians, the Lutherans and some others like that, that, that they're historical, meaning if you go back in history, those are the historical ones, and they're the mainline ones. You know, the, these Pentecostals, I mean, they're kind of this, you know, tributary of Christianity, these Johnny-come-latelys, and I think, wait a minute, you don't know your history. All of those so-called historical mainline denominations, Episcopalian, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Methodist, all the rest, that none of them are older than 400 years old, 400 or so years old. Some of them are only 100 and something, 150 years old. But yet, if you want to know what about Pentecostal Christianity, we go back 2,000 years when God, when Jesus decided to give birth to the church. He gave birth to the church in an outpouring of the Holy Spirit with a mighty roaring sound as a, as a mighty wind. And uh, fire and tongues, and boy, it was chaos. And it was wonderful chaos. So, anyway, all that to say this that I wanted you to see the supernatural kingdom. So, you can think of yourselves as being in a kingdom as a Christian. But that kingdom cannot be manifest properly in your life without you coming to grips with the fact that you need to step into some supernatural elements of Christianity. You need to begin to say, God, show me your, your power and wisdom of your spirit in ways that I can move in power, like for healing the sick, for casting out demonic powers, knowing, having words of knowledge, understanding things you couldn't know with your natural mind. All of the things. Are you all still with me now? So that being the case, I want you to think of all that as we read this story. And uh, we're gonna, that was just my introduction, so just don't count that against me. But here's what I want you to do. You ready? I, we're going to read this story. And when I read this story, I want you to think, kingdom, and then we're going to do something. As I read this, I really want you to put your thinking cap on. And I want you to listen to all the phrases, the different, ec- the different elements of this story, because we're going to refer back to them. Look in verse in Matthew 4. This is Matthew 4. It'll be on the screen. And verse 12. Now watch this. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum. All right? which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun, everybody say Zebulun, and Naphtali, Naphtali, remember those, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, and Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in do- the region... And shadow of death, light has dawned. Now, look at that. I want you to see that verse 15, 16. What he's doing here is uh, that Matthew, when Jesus comes into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, he refers back here to a prophecy of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9. So, when he says this about, you know, the land of Zebulun, Naphtali, by the way of the sea, you know, the people sat in darkness... And a great, they saw great light. He's he's referring back, he's saying, Jesus coming in fulfillment of a prophecy back in Isaiah chapter 9. And in that prophecy, Isaiah is prophesying and saying, Look, there's great darkness, you're under the oppression of the enemy, you're in slavery, you know, and got all kinds of horrible things going on in your life. He says, But good news, the light is coming. There's coming a freedom. The yoke's going to be taken off of your neck. You're going to be set free. And, and and he says this. He said, how's that going to happen? Oh, I love this. In verse 6, says, six says, it says, here's how it's going to happen. He said, a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. That's kingdom language. And he says, and of the increase of his kingdom, there shall be no end. He shall sit on the throne of David. Do you see that? In other words, in talking about this coming of Jesus, uh, he, Matthew goes back. He thinks back. He said, wait, wait, wait. What is this in fulfillment of? He goes, oh, yeah, Isaiah said there's going to be a great deliverance and then an establishment of a new kingdom, and it's going to come by a, son, a, a child being born who's going to be the son of God, and he's, he's going to have the government of the kingdom upon his shoulders, and it's going to bring light to the nations. Isn't that good? So you've got to think like that. Now watch this. Verse 17, calm down, Rick. Okay. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent. What does he say? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus walked by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them and immediately left their boat and father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments. And those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. What's he doing here? He's not only preaching. You see how Matthew says here, he's coming preaching the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. But he's not only doing that, he's manifesting the power of the kingdom while he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That's what he's come to do. Now, having read this, I want you to go with me quickly to the book of Luke, chapter 4, and I want to read this passage in Luke 4. Now, here's the way I want to introduce this. Y'all, y'all doing okay? Yeah. All right, look at this. Here's the way I want to introduce this. What I just read to you was a general picture of what Jesus was doing in all the villages. He was making, calling disciples, making disciples. He was preaching the gospel kingdom, manifesting the kingdom. You see, that was the general picture. In Luke 4, it gives us an example, specific example of what that looked like, and let's read it in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. So Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and proclaim the acceptable gear of the Lord. Then he closed the book, and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All right. Now we're finished with the introduction. Look at this. No, no look at this. No, no, I'm not kidding. Look at this. this. This is important. Watch this. Now that we've read these things, the general picture and a specific example, let's put them together, and I want to tell you a story. Sometimes we'll read passages like this, and we'll think, oh, that's good, that's good, that's good. But we really don't get what's going on here. And what will help us is if we will just use our imaginations and let's put ourselves back in the first century, right where Jesus was, and let's imagine what it was like to be one of those people. Can you all do that today? No, I I need more than two people to say yes. How many of you can do that today, all right? I want everybody... I know you as a child, you have an imagination and then you throw it away and you you just become cynical. But look, get it all back today. Get your imagination back. You ready? Are you ready? We're going to step out of reality in this world right now and we're going to step back in the first century. And I want you to put yourself there. Are you ready? I said, are you ready? And I'm going to tell you a story. Look at this. Here's the story. So imagine that you're a first century Jew. You're a fisherman or a fisherwoman, okay? Come on. No, imagine. Imagine this. You're a first-century fisherman or a fisherwoman, and you're living in the areas around the Sea of Galilee, maybe in the area of Zebulon or Naphtali, maybe in Capernaum or Nazareth or one of the other areas around the Galilee. And you living there... Because your family has been there for generations. I mean, this is your ancient ancestral territory. History is important to you. The thing is, is that you're fully aware that all is not well. Something's going on. Something's wrong in the area and even in the world. Because that area of Galilee that you're living in, look at this. Put this on the screen. Here's a map. There it is right there. Look at this. Can you all see this map? Now watch this. When you see down here the large body, of water, that's the Dead Sea. Just at the left top corner of the Dead Sea is Jerusalem. So that's where everything's happening, Jerusalem. That's where all the religious hierarchy is. I mean, if you want to start a religion, that's where you go. But Jesus didn't go there. That's where the Pharisees were. That's where the Sadducees were. He didn't go there. You know where he went? If you go on up the River Jordan, you see that in the middle there? You go up the River Jordan. Oh, look at this right here. See there? And you go up to that small body of water by where it says, how about there? That's the Sea of Galilee. And this is the Galilee region. And do you see there it says Naphtali and then Zebulon? Those are two of the regions around the Galilee. Galilee. Remember, Isaiah said, said, you know, in the regions of Naphtali and Zebulun, and that's what Matthew 4 says. So Jesus doesn't go to Jerusalem to establish his kingdom. He goes up here to up north to the Galilee region in this area. Watch this. All of the political elite. And economic elite, and educated elite, they were all down south in Jerusalem. Jesus goes up to Galilee, which literally was considered the slums. I mean, the Galileans were considered the rednecks. Are you with me? I mean, the the backwoods people. They thought, you know, the Galileans, nothing can come good out of the Galileans, and that's where Jesus started his ministry. But you know, watch this, but listen, I'm getting ahead of myself. Jesus did not hear you. But you know things are not well because the region you're living in is an occupied territory. You're a colony of the Roman Empire, and you're feeling they're on your iron rule every day because you see the presence of Rome's rule with the Roman soldiers doing their, uh, their security runs every day through all of the villages to make sure everybody stays subjugated and in order. And you're living from hand to mouth because the taxes are going higher and higher, higher. Come on, think of this. Higher and higher and higher. So much so that you got an uncle, your uncle, who farmed a, a piece of land that's been in his family for generations Taxes became so high he could no longer longer afford to farm the land, and he was forced to sell it to the Roman Empire. And then he was now relegated to farming the same piece of land as a debt slave. And that story you've heard repeated over and over. You see, you're a first-century Jew in Galilee, and you know many people like that. You're living in an area and a time where you feel there's no hope. You feel oppressed. You feel, my God, you live with these prophecies that something's going to happen. The child's going to be born. A son's going to be given. The yoke's going to be taken off of our neck. The oppression is going to be lifted, you know, and and the government's going to be on his shoulder. It's going to happen. But boy, it sure doesn't look like it. We're living in a horrible oppression. But then all of a sudden, You hear one day, somebody says, did you hear? There's a young rabbi, a prophet, and he's preaching. He's going around village to village, and he's preaching this message, and it's electrifying. It's that everybody's abuzz about it. It's like everybody's talking about, did you hear this young rabbi? And better yet, his name is Jesus, and he was raised right here in our midst in Nazareth. And you know what else? We hear that as he preaches, his message is electrifying. But he's actually then even healing the sick. Did you hear about that guy that got the devil cast out of him? I mean, the, the blind eye that got Did you hear that? I mean, it's happening. And all the people around Galilee are abuzz with excitement. Did you hear about the young rabbi? Did you hear about the young rabbi? He's preaching this electric message of the kingdom come. And then one day, you hear somebody say, hey, did you hear? He's coming to our village this coming Sabbath. Oh, to our synagogue. And so on Friday night, you get there early. And when you get there, there's already 300 people there. Are you still there? Have you left your imagination? Come on, you're there. Listen, there's 300 people there. Now, that's significant because, look, this is a small-town synagogue. And so it only held probably 50 people. So the place is packed inside. There's 250 packed around the outside. And so you come, but you manage to wiggle your way through, and you get up so you can get close to one of the windows. They don't have window panes, obviously, but they're just open holes So you get to where you can see through, and you can even hear. They go through the service, and then all of a sudden, it's time for this young rabbi to get up. And this young rabbi gets up, and when he stands up, he looks at the attendant, and he says, would you please find me the scroll of Isaiah? And the attendant gives him the scroll of Isaiah. And Jesus stands up there. Are you there? Are you there? He stands up there, and he opens his scroll, and he starts looking down. Isaiah 53, 54, 59, 67, 61. Isaiah 61. And he starts to read. And you're peering through the window, listening. And he starts reading, and he reads this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, when we read that and our heart begins to burn, we think, oh, that's really good. But all you've got to understand, forget it. See, you got out of your imagination. You're a first century Jew. You had heard people read passages like this for years. You've heard Isaiah 61 before, that rabbi after rabbi read this. Everything was normal so far. But when they read it, they always were referring to something that was off in the future that's going to happen one day. So everything's pretty normal. Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel before, to open the captives for the prisoners, to, to open the blind eyes to heal the broken hearts, to deliver the oppressed, to to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So Jesus is reading this. Now listen, so everything is normal. Y'all still there, right? You said everything is normal so far. You've heard this over and over. It's normal theoretically, but something's different because it says after this, it says that the people, when Jesus finished, he hands the scroll back to the attendant, and then he sits down. And when he sat down, the eyes of all who were in the house were fixed on him. So all that although the reading was the same, they said, what is this word that he preaches for with authority? He speaks, not, and it says, not as the scribes, not like the guys who always read this. So he read the same scripture, but there's something different about this when he read this today. And so Jesus sits down. Now listen to this. And when he sits down, doesn't say how long he sit down, but I like to think that he was for quite some time. He's just letting this thing stew. The eyes of everyone are fastened on him like, what's next? The air was so thick, you could cut it with a knife. Excitement was in the air. Anticipation. What's he going to do next? He had just said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to do these things. So he sits there and looks at him. And then all of a sudden, he opens his mouth. And he said, you ready for this? He said, this day, today, right now, what I just read to you is fulfilled. Listen, he said, it's here now in me. Now, their silence went to chaos. They marveled. They were amazed. They started questioning together, who is this? Do we not know his fathers? He's the son of Joseph. Where he came from? What is this? We don't know. Oh, my God. He's telling us all these prophecies that we've lived with for generation after generation about the coming king. He is saying that this is fulfilled now in your hearing. Now, what's significant is this? Are you ready for this? Oh, Lord, help us. He says, here's how it's fulfilled. If you want to know how to move in the reign of God, in other words, to manifest God's power, his wisdom, his supernatural elements, Christianity, he says this, the key is the spirit of the Lord has to come on you. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the key to manifesting the kingdom. Now, that's important when you understand in the book of Acts. Y'all still with me now? In the book of Acts chapter 2, whenever the the king, Jesus in his ministry moved in the kingdom in one body, but really he's the only only one except for those who were close to him, they laid hands on. But now in Acts 2, the kingdom is being released in the earth. And how is it released? It's released like this. It says in Acts 2, but when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly uh, a sound from heaven, like as a mighty rushing wind, filled the room where they were sitting, oh, hallelujah, and tongues of fire. Now, don't think tongues, unknown tongues. This just means distributed tongues. Fire was dividing up, distributing each one of them. The fire of the Holy Spirit sat upon each of them, and it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, when this all happens, the devout Jews in Jerusalem are all gathered there these devout Old Testament Jews look on and they said this. They said, they were mocking, saying, These guys must be full of new wine. <laughs> they were, they're drunk. And I love it because Peter, when he responds, he says, If I even love the language where he says, Peter standing up among the leaven and said, You who hear, uh, I forget how it says it, but anyway, behold and listen to what I'm about to say. He says, These are not drunk as you suppose. I just love it. He didn't say they weren't drunk. (laughs) He just says they're not drunk with what you think they are drunk with. Now, this is important in the whole narrative because you remember the kingdom is coming to be manifest. He says, to be poured out on all flesh. And he says, here's how it comes. There was such a manifestation of the Holy Spirit upon their lives that they were accused of being drunk. And Paul said, well, they're not drunk like you think. It's not like exactly that. But this is that which the prophet Joel spoke. He says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh in the last days. So in other words, there's a new wine, now. y'all with me, that these people are drinking of. And I love that for this reason. Now picture this with me. That You know what? These were devout Jews they were speaking to. It was devout Jews that were accusing them of being drunk. Now, devout Jews, you have to understand, they were masters at living by the law. So let's just take the worship service in the synagogue. For them, everything was an ordinance. All the worship was structured. It wasn't experiential. It was performative. They performed their prayers. They performed their worship. They performed their messages. They stood up to read their prayers. They stood up to read. Y'all with me now? So everything was figurative, pointing to something. Because it wasn't happening here now, so they would perform a ritual that would kind of say, this is what it would look like if it was here, but it's going to come in the future. Y'all with me now? Ah. But then on the day of Pentecost. See, that's what the law, there was law that prescribed everything that they did. And these guys come along. And when they come along, they're breaking every law that's prescribed for worship. I mean, you didn't didn't wait for the right time to read the Word. You didn't even have the right person. You got kids up here who are prophesying. You know kids are to shut up and listen in this place, and you've got them doing the same thing as adults. You've got women doing the same thing as men. You've got slave girls and slave boys doing the same thing as the upper class. What is it? You're breaking every law. You're drunk. And then I looked up drunk. I mean, you might have thought, sometimes I thought people might feel weird out if they saw some of my Google searches sometimes because <laughs> I really am preparing messages. I started peering into drunkenness. And when I looked at drunk, you know one of the main definitions is to be drunk means to be intoxicated or filled with something that is beyond the level of what the law prescribes? That's what it means to be drunk. And so they looked at these, these Galileans and they said, they're drunk. They're breaking every law. They're so filled with something, they're intoxicated beyond the law, the level of what the law prescribes. In other words, what they're saying is their worship has, has left the arena of performance, and it's entered the arena of experience. experience. See, when you're drunk, you're not pointing to anything else that's going to happen. It's happening to you right now. Are you with me? That's why, you know, in some church circles or religious circles, they will light a candle at the altar in front of the church for the Holy Spirit. And they'll say, see, we're lighting the candle here. There's the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit is poured out upon you to where you become intoxicated with the reality of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, you no longer need to light a candle because the fire is on the inside of you. Yeah, you know what i saying? So that's what was going on here. They're drunk. They're, they're, all their worship is spontaneous. See, this is why Pentecostals, Charismatics, all whatever, you know what they're known for, like, one of the things that troubles a lot of the older historical denominations is, is that, you know, you Charismatic, you Pentecostals, you guys do things too spontaneous. Your worship is spontaneous. Your praying is spontaneous. You know, know, all of that. And they don't get it. We come by it honestly. It goes all the way back to Pentecost. You with me? They're spontaneous. Why is it spontaneous? Because it's it's coming out of the spontaneity of the empowering of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. That's why you see Matt up here leading words. I noticed him today. You know, he's leading words. You, know, you know, if you were according to the law, you know, you would just get up here and you would just say, we're going to sing page 348 today. Let's sing the first and third stanza. You know, let's all everybody rise. Now sit down. No, 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 not Matt. Matt's up here playing his guitar and he's singing. He's got his eyes closed. Matt, would you open your eyes? Come on. This. That's That's against the law. Just, yeah. And he's shaking his head. Where are you shaking your head for, man? And all of a sudden, I noticed today he got in the middle of a part of a song and he goes, he goes back and he rears back and he goes, ah! I thought, oh, Lord, you're really breaking the law now. You know what I'm saying? What's that all about? It's because we didn't light a candle at the front because the candle is on the inside of him. Oh, hallelujah. Why do you think that Pastor Josh? Gets up here. He does it all the time. It's like you can tell when the power of God's coming on. It's like Josh will get up here and he'll stop and he'll get quiet and all of a sudden he go. I thought, oh, there it is, baby, there it is. He's like, he goes. Now you know me, I just get rambunctious, but not him. He goes, What's that all about? That 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 breathing. I like, I mean, don't you know it's against the what's that all about? The Holy Spirit prompts by the anointing that he induces us with. It bubbles up inside of us and causes all kinds of reactions that we didn't plan on having. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, you with me now? I mean, that's, I love that. Now, listen to this. Neil, I'm about... Anyway, I'm about halfway through, but let's let me try to. I'll I'll try to speed this and bring this down to the end. I just let me. get All right, I'm gonna just go right to the end. When you break something like this open, it's like. I mean, we could go through a whole series of this, obviously. But you notice, out of all this experience in Acts two. That the one thing it seemed they focused on as a prominent thing was tongues. Isn't it interesting? They spoke in other, which means unknown tongues. They, they didn't understand what they were saying. Now, those devout Jews out there, they were, there were 15 nations of them, and the Bible says that when these Galileans spoke languages out of their mouth, they didn't understand themselves, that they heard them in their own language. That was a miracle. And so the speaking in tongues, I mean, first of all, sometimes speaking in tongues can be a known language that you don't know. I mean, that does happen. It's happened to me a couple of times, but only a couple. I remember one day I was speaking in tongues, and there was a guy that came to me, and he said, Pastor Rick, he said, you know Hebrew? I said, no, I don't think so. And he said, well, he said, yours was speaking Hebrew. He said, I'm Jewish, and I know Hebrew. And he said, you were speaking Hebrew. I said, no, I thought I was speaking in tongues. He said, no. I said, what was I saying? He said, in Hebrew, you were just saying things like Jesus is the Messiah. Yeshua is the Messiah King who has come. You're saying that in, in Hebrew. And so anyway, that can happen. It happened on the day of Pentecost. But that's not the primary way that tongues is manifest in the New Testament. But yet it's so prominent. And if you look at the New Testament, you'd be surprised how much tongues is spoken of. Now, why in the world, when I wrap this up by speaking on tongues, after all this talking about the manifestation of the kingdom? First of all, it's because the Bible does. The Holy Spirit comes to do all kinds of things. There are a number of gifts of the Spirit, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, gift of faith, workings of miracles, gifts of All these things, all supernatural things to come and manifest the kingdom. There's healing There's deliverance where you can cast out demonic spirits. You with me? But it's interesting. There's far more said about tongues than there is about any of the rest. Now, don't miss this because I think this is so important. It's why I end up focusing on this. If the Bible focuses on it so much, there must be a reason for it. And here's what I think the reason is. That There are many manifestations, supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit God wants to give us, and I've been privileged to experience many of those, and a number of you have too. I've seen people healed through me being able to lay hands on them, which is an incredibly humbling thing. I've gotten words of knowledge, meaning knowledge that I didn't know that God gave me supernatural that I could never know with my brain, things like that. So we've experienced those things. But the reason I believe that tongues is focused on so much is because tongues, I believe, is the gateway into all the rest of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In other words, think of it this way. Think of it this way. Because, you know, let's face it. Tongues are quite offensive. They're quite controversial. And I think that's why I bring it up today because I speak in tongues. And I, I shock, of all shocks, you know, Pastor Josh and Tori do. They speak in tongues, and so, and a number of others here speak in tongues. And you might come to church like this, and you feel the presence of God like you do today, and you go, oh, I like that. I like that. That's why I'm here. You feel God speaking, your heart burning while Josh preaches. You say, I like that. Yeah, I like that. God's moving in me and dealing with me while I'm here. I like that. But you don't know why it is that those things are happening so profoundly. And it's because that there's an infilling of the Holy Spirit, and one of the prominent, main prominent ways that that Holy Spirit infilling comes is through manifesting with a language that you don't understand with your brain. Now, why would that happen? I think, number one, that God gives us unknown tongues simply because it's offensive to your head. It's a stumbling block to your brain. In other words, let's face it. Nobody in their natural mind who's leaning on their head wants to speak in tongues. Because, you know, it's like, look, I mean, that's crazy. You know, some of you say, just speaking in tongues is crazy. Everything you've done so far in this church, that's really, that's good. But that's crazy. Oh, if it's so crazy, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God exists and this God is infinite and he created all things? You believe that? Well, that's crazy. That's crazy to your natural mind. And do you believe that that God came in the form of Jesus, died on a cross, and hey, rose from the grave, came back alive from the dead? You believe that? That's crazy. You believe that resurrection is what saved you, forgave you, and bought your ticket to heaven, and you're going to heaven when you die? You believe that? That's crazy. Don't tell me that's not crazy. That's crazy. And then you believe that you, little you, you pray every day, and God, the infinite Creator, God, hears you. You, who have to take a bath every day because you stink. And God hears you, and it makes a difference in your life. You believe that? That's crazy. So you see, speaking in tongues is no crazier than believing all of those things. Because if you just think about it logically, listen, it really makes sense. If there is an infinite creator God who has all power and all, he knows everything, and you don't. You know so little. And he knows everything. He knows his plan for your life. He knows everything about you. And your future. And this God is so loving, he wants to regularly give you, download information to you to help you along on your way. If that infinite God with this kind of infinite wisdom wants to download it into a finite, stinky creature like me, doesn't it make sense that that kind of supernatural information would need supernatural language that bypasses my brain? and that I cannot articulate with my English language. So the thing is this. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and you look at this um, just real quickly here. In 1 Corinthians 14, look at this. I love this. 1 Corinthians 14, 2. This is interesting. Look at this. For he who speaks in a tongue, that's that's talking about tongues, unknown tongues, he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So listen to this. First of all, listen. If some people have said, well, you, when you speak in tongues, that's just gibberish. That's not what the Bible says. This is the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. It's this Bible scripture that you hold so highly. It says that when you pray in a tongue, that is of a language of heaven that your brain doesn't understand. He said, you're speaking to God. It's not gibberish. He says, for no one understands him. So you don't understand it." Watch this. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. See, this is why tongues is so important. It's because when you speak or pray or worship in tongues, you're bypassing the limitation of your own natural knowledge, and all of a sudden you're speaking to God mysteries, which means things that are hidden to your natural mind, but they are very open and revealed in the Spirit. And so by speaking this heavenly language, you're tapping into the information of heaven you can't know with your brain. Isn't that beautiful? So I love this. Watch this. So he says this, verse 14, 2 Corinthians two fourteen. 2 Corinthians 14, 14, excuse me, 14, 14. He says, for if I pray in a tongue, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. Everybody say, my spirit prays. But my understanding is unfruitful. I, well, look at this. This is your Bible. Look at this. He says, for when I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now, here he's explaining what happens when you pray. Worship, speak in tongues. Listen to this. He says, what's happening is, of course your understanding is unfruitful. You don't understand it with your head because this information is not coming from your accumulative knowledge. So your head can not contribute to this dialogue. So your head is unfruitful. That's what bothers people. How can I pray in tongues whenever I don't understand it with my head? As if your head were omniscient, you know. Everything should run through my head because it's the universal clearinghouse of all things. (laughs) How can it be the clearinghouse when it's not even clear? You know, it's like, so when he says your understanding is unfruitful, why? Watch this. He says, because my spirit prays. Yeah. I don't know if that gets you, but I read every time I say it, it's like, it, because my spirit prays. My head don't know doesn't know what's going on because my spirit prays. My spirit's praying. That's why. You want to know why my head doesn't know what's going on? My spirit's praying. My, you want to know why you don't understand this language when I speak in tongues? It's because my spirit's praying. What is he saying? I got this picture years ago. Many of you heard me say it, but it's helped me so much. Basically, all praying in tongues is is this. When you're praying with your understanding, it means your tongue is hooked up to your brain, and it's drawing the information and the, the, the syllables, the language. It's drawing it from the brain. That's what it means. But to pray in the tongues or in the spirit, it means to unhook your tongue from your brain and hook it up to your spirit where you're not drawing from your head. You're drawing, my spirit prays. My spirit prays. They spoke as the spirit gave utterance. Do you see that? I love that. You understand it's because my spirit prays. Now, oh, So I'm going to try to keep from speaking in tongues. I'm going to So he says, my spirit prays. In verse 15, he says, what is the conclusion then? He says, I will pray with the spirit, and I also will pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I also will sing with the understanding. Now look at this, folks. Listen, you realize this is the Apostle Paul? You know that great dude that you really admire? That's him. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. That's him. And him, that guy, said, now I'm going to tell you what I do. He said, I'm going to pray with my spirit, and then I'm going to pray with my understanding. And then I'm going to sing with the spirit, and then I'm going to sing with the understanding. In verse 18, he says this. I love this. Verse 18, he says, I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. Isn't that amazing? So anyway, here's the thing. I want to wrap this up by saying that The Bible talks over and over about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a, a whole deep subject I'm not getting into today, but, you know, there's this whole argument of like, you know, well, is that always a second work of grace, meaning you get saved, and then later on you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, or can it happen when you're born again? And without getting into that, I'm just telling you where I stand that I believe it can be both. I believe, really, if you are aware of this stuff I'm telling you now, the moment you're born again, you should be able to yield yourself to God and be filled with all the fullness of the Holy Spirit and then begin to move in the supernatural elements of the kingdom. It yeah. doesn't have to be a second work of grace. Because when you're born again, bring this up here, for me, David. When you're born again, I just wanted to tell you this, that you, when you're born again, you, are, you receive the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is already in you the moment you're born again. So if you don't, if you haven't had experience with what you call it, being filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, and, uh, and then uh, someone tells you, well, you're a second-class citizen, Christian, and that's just not true. When you are born again, the Spirit of God fills you. Now look at this. I want you to watch this. So look at this. I tried to get a big glass so all of you could see. Now, (laughs) what's wrong? Look at this. All right, so look at this. Here's it. So you're born again. Ezekiel 36, prophet Ezekiel says, prophesying about the new birth. Look at this. He says this. He says that I'm going to take the stony heart out of you. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. He said, I'm going to put a new spirit within you. And then I'm going to put my spirit in your spirit. So let's just say this milk here is my spirit. It's the spirit God has given me. My spirit has come alive at the new birth. Here it is, the milk. But now he says, I'm going to put my spirit in your spirit. And this is the new birth. Watch this. So look at this. You say, What are you doing? I'm making this milk a whole lot better. <laughs> okay. Is that enough? Yeah. Don? Where's Don? Is that enough? I grew up with Don Lee and Terry's dad, and I, I've never known anyone to like chocolate milk more than Don. So, just a little side note. There. All right. Now, look at this. So, when you're born again, you, in your spirit, you receive the Spirit of God. Can you all see that? There's the Spirit of God in you. You receive the Spirit of God. But yet, He's not really doing that much. He's there enough to save you, forgive you, to help you pray, take you to heaven. But, you know, He's kind of there. But then it's interesting Okay, over and over, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, be filled. What does that mean? If it's the Spirit you got when you got born again, it's not a different Spirit. What does it mean? I got that Spirit. We say, be filled with what I've already got. Well, he explains to this a little more when he says in 2 Timothy 1, 6 to Timothy, he says this. He says, Timothy, stir up the gift of the Spirit that's in you. So, really a good picture of Being filled with the Spirit is crying out to God. Oh, God, in in Matthew 7, Jesus says, ask him for the Holy Spirit. That's one of the things, ask him for the Holy Spirit, meaning ask God to stir up the Spirit of God in you, to to bring the fullness, to endue you with the power of what's in you. He says, stir it up. So when you do that, the Spirit of God's already in you. You're not a second-class Christian, but watch this. Oh, God, I pray, please come, come, stir up the gift of the Spirit in me. Oh, stir it up in me, oh, God! Stir up this gift in me. Oh, yes! Oh, rababababarakia. Uh-huh. Now, that there is being filled with what you already possessed. Is you stirred up? First of all, you stirred it up by asking God. You got hungry. You said, God, I want more of you. God, I want the fullness of your spirit. God, whatever it takes, I'll even speak in tongues, God. I'll do whatever. God, just fill me with your spirit then do me with power. And you stir that and stir that pot and stir it as you do. Then the Holy Spirit that has been in you from the new birth but has not really been activated in the way that he wants to be, all of a sudden by stirring that, he begins to fill your personality and all your decisions and all your relationships and all of your finances and everything in your life. That's what it means right there. Woo! Everybody stand to your feet with me. Hallelujah. So this has been... This has been the introduction to Holy Spirit life. And I want you to do this. I want the team to come. Now, just listen to me very carefully, if you will. Really, there's several reasons why we want to do this. We want to do this today, but one is this folks, listen. The things you enjoy in this church, I think a lot of them are because that your pastors here, your, your leaders, and all of us. We have been filled with the Holy Spirit, and we pray and speak in tongues, speak mysteries to God. So beautiful. Let me ask you this question, because some people say, well, after all this today, you said, does that mean I need to speak in tongues? Should I speak in tongues? And my answer to that question is, "I, I don't know. I don't really know. Because let me ask you a question. Do you or do you ever pray for someone, and while you're praying for someone, you got a burden, and you pray everything you know to pray, but you end up running out of information. You don't know anything else to pray, and you think, God, I wish I knew more. If that's you, then probably you need to speak in tongues. Or if you've been making a decision and you thought, I sure wish I had more information, I just don't know enough, then you probably should speak in tongues. Or you've been worshiping God. You ever worship God but didn't have enough words to express all that was in your heart? You see, this is what tongues are for. And the Bible says that tongue, in Jude one twenty, the tongues edifies or it builds us up. So we are a spirit-filled church. And our desire is for everyone here to stir up that gift and to ask God. Now, we're not, I didn't do this for us to create some big moment where all of a sudden we have this big powerful moment and, you know, and really try to get everybody to to do something. Here's the thing, and the reason I say that is because, look, I want to stir up hunger, and I want you to really want. I want you to know what you want, and I want you to want it with all your heart. This is not pulling some lever or some miracle pill. This is about giving your whole self to Jesus. So my really greatest desire is that you would leave this place with new information, with a hunger, saying, God, Man, I'm not even fully sure of everything Pastor Rick said today, but it seems like it's Bible. And if it's you, I want all you have for me. And I encourage you to go home tonight and say, God, I ask you, if this is you, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? God, would you give me this heavenly language? Open these things to me, dear Lord. If it's not you, God, don't give it to me. If it is you, God, give it to me. That is my desire. Now, having said that, we are, I am going to be down here at the front afterward, and we're going to have a couple of others up here with me that if any one of you do want to be filled with the Spirit now, then you can come, and they will pray with you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word today. We thank you, God, for your amazing presence that's in this place right now. We love you, and we bless you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. 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 There you go. Thanks for listening today. We pray this message encourages you. If you have any questions or you'd like to learn more about us as a church, you can always visit us online by going to lifechurchstl.com.